0: Blessed is the man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is on the law of the Lord, and on his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that bringeth forth his fruit in his season, his leaves also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Welcome to the Bread of the Word podcast, a podcast striving to feast on God's word and let the Bible speak to us all. Let us, as a former generation said, go ad fontes to the fountain. Be nourished and sustained by all that God is. Let's take it together. Well, hello and welcome back to the Bread of the Word podcast. My name is Tyler and we are continuing to dive ad fontes to the fountain into the Word of God and let it speak for itself to our lives today. We've been working through Ecclesiastes for some time, and we are coming to um, another great passage out of chapter 7. Um, this is something I, I I had my mind blown in uh, Ecclesiastes 7 this week, and so I'm excited to share some of what I've been shown um, in this text, and we'll be covering verses 15 through 20 of chapter 7, and it reads, in my life, in my feudal life, in my hevel life, remember, out of that hebrew word for vapor in my vapor life i have seen everything someone righteous perishes in spite of his righteousness and someone wicked lives long in spite of his evil don't be excessively righteous and don't be overly wise why should you destroy yourself don't be excessively wicked and don't be foolish why should you die before your time it is good that you grasp the one and do not let the other slip from your hand For the one who fears god will end up with both of them wisdom makes the person strong makes the wise person stronger than ten rulers of a city there is certainly no one righteous on the earth who does good and never sins and so we are entering into a new segment in this chapter and so solomon is uh following that this format that he's been this thus far and he reasserts himself to his audience in my feudal life i have seen everything Solomon speaks from personal experience throughout this book we've seen on the the so-called hevelity, the vaporousness of life under the sun. But here he seems to be speaking to a specific audience. Um, There are some that believe that Ecclesiastes is a series of uh, quotes that have been stitched together by um, a student of Solomon, or maybe there's a second author who's... um, Interpreting it, I am not persuaded that way. I believe that this was something Solomon sat down and wrote. Um, I don't see enough deviation in style to be persuaded of a different author or a series of breaks between uh, passages. But I do believe that this particular passage is addressed to a specific audience. and We're seeing a transition here. Um, We'll see more of this in chapter 8 but i think he's speaking to kings i think he's speaking in in a sense wisdom for rulers verse uh, 7 verse 15 it says someone righteous perishes in spite of his righteousness and someone wicked lives long in spite of his evil and the hebrew word for righteous that is used here is typically used in scripture to refer to the righteousness or lack thereof of kings and rulers this has context with government, with governance, with like the Davidic kingship. Thus, I think it's safe to say that the immediate context of this passage is that Solomon is advising rulers or kings in some way. And once again, we see that the righteous do not escape death. Um, It says in Psalms, I believe, that it rains on the just, and it also rains on the unjust. And we we have that same model here. That the righteous don't escape death righteousness is not a prevention of earthly death the righteous and the wicked both die as charles spurgeon once put it six feet of earth make all men equal so he says don't be excessively righteous and don't be overly wise why should you destroy yourself don't be excessively wicked and don't be foolish why should you die before your time sounds a bit like nihilism doesn't it this is something that has stumped um Scholars who are far more learned than myself, and I will not pretend to have it all worked out. I would postulate that if anybody claims they have all of Ecclesiastes worked out, run. Because, really with any book in the Bible, because we're human. And there's going to be an element where God moves in ways we don't understand. There's going to be an element of having to trust God, where things don't always make sense. And there's, there's always going to be an element of mystery that is yet to be revealed. With that said, this, this text is hard to translate. It's hard for commentators to interpret. And that sounds a bit like nihilism. It sounds like this, this idea of nothing really matters. So live as you please. And he says in verse 18, It is good that you grasp the one and do not let the other slip from your hand for the one who fears God will end up with both of them. And when we look at nihilism when we think about this uh, this nihilistic worldview which became very popular in America in like the 90s, this whole notion that there is no great beyond there is no uh, there's nothing really to the universe except matter and energy. And so live as you please because at the end, it's like, it's like a board game. Everything just goes back in the box. There's not really any consequence. Just do whatever. Um, and James W. Sire, in his book The Universe Next Door, comments on nihilism this way. The strands of epistemological, metaphysical, and ethical nihilism weave together to make a rope long enough and strong enough to hang in a whole culture. The name of the r- rope is loss of meaning. We end in a total despair of ever seeing ourselves, the world, and others in any way significant, and nothing has meaning. So this begs the question, does Solomon pose a world that has no meaning? Is it good that you grasp the one and do not let the other slip from your hand, for the one who fears God will end up with both of them. I don't believe that he's making the case that nothing matters, but that these are not the things that matter. And why are, these, why are these a problem? Well, because of pride. You think that you will escape death because you are wise or because you don't believe in death? Our own virtues will not save from death or from God's justice. What Solomon is exploring, what he's imploring kings to, is a sense of reality. They will die. Memento mori. Remember, you must die. Um, In ancient Rome, when a general won a battle, it was tradition to have a commoner um, beside him in the victory parade who's whispering in his ear the whole time, Remember, thou art mortal. Despite this grand victory that you have just won, you are but a man. And like these common folk, you will die one day. And so Solomon is essentially saying to his audience, memento mori, remember you must die. Whether you were a good king or not, whether you were wise or a fool, your conduct will not spare you from death. Wisdom is not the means to an end. Which is a common theme throughout this book that we call Ecclesiastes, that wisdom is not the end-all be-all. There is much to be desired from wisdom, as we see in Proverbs and Psalms and such. However, it's not wisdom in itself that saves us. Wisdom points us to how we are saved, how we can be saved. Hebrews 9.27 says, As it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. So Christ was offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear, the second time, without sin, unto salvation. But in order to flesh out this further, Solomon switches to poetry. In Hebrew scripture, the poetry often fleshes out the theme of what precedes and follows it. Some of the most important ideas are conveyed through poetry, and that's, that's a common theme. And we often have a tendency to overlook the poetry because, um, as modern Americans, we, we're not a poetic people. We think poetry is boring and it doesn't make sense, but in Hebrew Scripture, poetry is what holds the narrative together. When it deviates from the narrative and goes to poetry, it is the, the poem in the middle. That holds the narrative together. That gives it that thematic grounding. And likewise in this book of Ecclesiastes, which it is poetry, but it's also different forms of poetry throughout. And so Solomon is flipping back and forth through different formats to make different points and arguments and cases. And so in this passage, we've got what most Bibles render, uh, they arrange it as like just plain block text, like, like a sentence format. And then we get down to verse 19, and it switches to stanzas like it's a poem. And it says, Wisdom makes the wise person stronger than ten rulers of a city. There is certainly no one righteous on the earth who does good and never sins. So, hakma, wisdom, holds a certain value, says Solomon. It says in Psalm 19 that, it is, that the, the law of the Lord is pure. That it is right. It is wise. That it is more to be desired than gold and silver. So wisdom has value. But no one is righteous, also says Solomon. So who is this really about? Who is this wise person that is stronger than ten kings? And I believe the answer to that question um, lies in a portion of the Hebrew when it says wisdom makes the wise person stronger. Well, the Hebrew word there in the, in the following verse, no one righteous, is the word Adam. Which is where we get the word Adam, the name Adam. But it goes back to man. So the Hebrew word Adam In order to answer this question, takes us back to the garden. Once again, Solomon invites us back to the garden. Genesis two. So the Lord God took Ha Adam, the man, the one from the dirt, and placed him in the garden of Eden to work it and watch over it. And the Lord God commanded the man. He says, You are free to eat from any tree of the garden. So that's the command is you are free to eat. And then, which is positive. And then he adds a, a negative. But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For the day you eat, eat from it, as the Hebrew says, dyingly you shall die. That, that, that act added intensive there. This is a big deal. Dyingly you will die. We skip down to Genesis 3. And we find that Adam did not follow this, that he He ate that God established this covenant relationship with man, through Adam, and Adam did not abide. There was that one rule, and he broke it. Eve did as well his wife, but Adam was the one through whom this is reckoned. Genesis 3, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze, and they heard from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So the Lord God called out to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, so I hid. And then he asked him, Who told you that you were naked? Did you eat from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man replied, The woman you gave to be with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate. So the Lord God asked the woman, What have you done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. And so the the question in this narrative is what went wrong and when drew johnson in his commentary on the book um fleshes this out and says what went wrong according to god not according to us according to god the man listened to the voice of his wife who is listening to the voice of the serpent this explains the odd question god asked the man not the woman when he finds him hiding who told you man that you man were naked Notice, guys, diagnosis the the dirtling, the one from the dirt, listened to the wrong voice. And so, while we can split hairs over um, the whole whole patriarchy thing and men and women and the the roles there, at the end of the day, something was broken in this garden. Something good became sinful. Something that started as good was shattered by listening to the wrong voice, by heeding the voice of the serpent Romans 5 says therefore just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin in this way death spread to all people because all sinned by borrowing language from Genesis Solomon asserts what was seen in Genesis but despite this fall despite this horrible thing that happened there is this promise in Genesis 3 I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. In, the, in certain theological circles, they like to call this the Proto-Evangelion, which is Greek for the first gospel. This is the first promise of the gospel of Christ saving his people. I will put hostility between you and the woman. It says God to the serpent. And that word hostility in Hebrew comes from the word hater. Which sounds very Gen Z. I will put a hater between you and the woman. This idea of hating as more than just a feeling. It is a verb. I will put something between you. We see this laid out in Revelation as well. When when there is the dragon and there's the mother, the same imagery is carried over to the other side of the scriptures. And so there's these two bookends right here of this contention between man, between humanity and the serpent. Between humanity as it should have been and what sin introduced to him. What sin made the man. And the pursuit of wisdom. The pursuit of knowledge of good and evil, which they thought was appealing to the eyes and was useful, led Adam and Eve to heed the wrong voice. And that is not wisdom. That is not hakma. That is not intellectual skill likened to that of a soldier. That is folly. That is, that is, idol- that is sin. That is idolatry. They tr- thought they could provide for themselves better than the God who made them. But God's wisdom is better than Adam's wisdom. Colossians 1 it says, He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. In him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. And he is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. And through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And that word in in verse 13, he has rescued us. The Greek word literally means to draw to one's self. God has, according to his perfect wisdom, which is greater than ten kings, has provided for us a way to be saved. Not by Adam coming up the mountain and maybe getting to God by his own merits, by his own virtue. But God has come down. And he has made that way known. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If ye had known me, ye should have seen my Father also. And from henceforth ye know him and have seen him. Because Christ is not separate from the, from, from the Father in the garden. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And no one can lay a foundation other than what has laid, been laid down. And that foundation is jesus christ it was always god's intent from the garden to redeem a broken world that part of god's creation of the world was establishing the way by which men would be saved when they fell i will put hostility between you and the woman between your offspring and her offspring he will strike your head and you shall strike his heel Christ came to do what we could not. Christ came to be who we could not be. No one is able to be wise, in a, at least wise as matters to God. Wise in the ways of God. And therefore righteous by their own virtue. Udes dunatai, No one is able. The Septuagint rendering of this this passage says wisdom shall help the wise more than 10 authorities who are in the city for there is no righteous person in the land who will do good and not sin and that is why God became man and dwelt among us because no one is righteous and this line no one is righteous is a direct that line is directly quoted by Paul. In Romans chapter 3, verse 10, for there is none righteous, not even one. uk dikaios ude estin. There is none righteous. And so that is why God came down the mountain. That is why God became man and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the Son of God. John 1 says but as many as received him to them he gave power to become the sons of God even to them that believe on his name which were not born of blood nor the will of the flesh nor the will of man but of God and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory the glory as the only begotten of the father full of grace and truth and so what Solomon is Leading us to is our need for a redeemer outside of ourselves. That there is no one righteous on the earth, but wisdom makes the wise person stronger than ten rulers of a city. And I believe the wisdom that makes a wise person stronger than the ten rulers of a city is the wisdom of God that is stronger than men. That the wisdom of God confounds the wise. And the, the, the wisdom of the world is but folly before God. And God, in his perfect wisdom, has provided a way for all of us who believe to be saved. Not by our own virtue, not by our own willingness, but by the work of Christ. Christ has done what we cannot do. When the scriptures tell us no one is able, God did. There is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. drawing drawing us to himself as his adopted children who bear the family resemblance, not because of virtue or anything they had in themselves, but because of what God did for them, what God is doing in them, and what God will continue to do in and around and through them until Christ comes back and makes all things new. Thank you for listening. This has been the Bread of the Word podcast. Bread of the Word is a podcast ministry striving to feed people the wonderful words of God, book by book, chapter by chapter, and verse by verse, striving to let the Word speak for itself. This ministry is also a member of the Truth and Love Network, a diverse fellowship of fellow podcasts of different theological backgrounds, united in the gospel of God. For more from the Bread of the Word podcast or the Truth and Love Network, check out the links below and follow us on social media. Until next time, God bless. Matthew 4.4